0: one Oh, and here comes California and Jelani Gardner to land the lead, back
1: to three. Gardner makes a great move out of that spin. Gardner with a steal over his head to Roberts. Gardner buries a three. Jelani Gardner with the pull-up. Jelani Gardner with the feed. He is best. the best assist man on this team. Jelani
0: Gardner. We are tied at seventy. Good hands by Gardner. You knew he might pick it.
1: Gardner, nice move. Dish to Brinkley.
0: what's up everybody not my house is in the house this is your host eric and right next to me as always is my co-host zach zach what's going on this morning my friend
1: excited man we've heard a lot about this guy from former guests and i just can't wait to get to it i can't wait to learn more
0: absolutely he was the number one ranked player in the state of california he was a mcdonald's all-american and went on to play at cal and pepperdine and also played professionally overseas we're honored to have him mr jelani gardner how are you doing today sir
2: i'm blessed thanks for having me guys
0: Absolutely. Thanks a lot for coming on. I'll tell you right now, that I, I want to give you a disclaimer real quick. We heard a lot about you from previous guests, and they were always really, really complimentary of your, of your game. And uh, so we we're really excited to have you on today. So we'd like to get to know our guests before we jump into hoops. So tell the listeners where you're from and what your childhood was like.
2: I'm from uh, L.A., born and raised. Um, grew up in Gardena till I was 11. Then I moved to West Covina from 11, and my parents still live out there to this day. Um, I have two sisters, one older, one younger, Monica and Zakia, and I have an older brother, Sean Gardner. And nice. uh, my, my parents are still together to this day. Now, my uh sister has five kids. I have um, what do I have? I have five myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what do I have? need <laughs> to think about it. That's a full house. That's a yeah, full it is
0: house. <laughs> that, we're, that we're five on five right there.
1: <laughs> We're real family-oriented.
2: That's the basis of my life now, family guy.
0: Awesome. That's, <laughs> um, no better I'm, I'm way, my Dad. friend. No better way, my friend, for sure. Hey, yeah. um, I was like asking this question personally. What was the first sport that you got introduced to? Was it basketball or was it Little League Baseball? Or what was the first sport you remember playing?
2: I was into baseball heavily as a youth. I was a pitcher shortstop. I had a good velocity on my uh, fastball. You know, I was pretty tall and long, so I had a probably different angles of delivering the ball. But I was really good at baseball you know, at a young age. But in Gardena, we played all, all sports. So we would go from baseball to football, to basketball, and just play year-round, everything.
0: That's the way to do it, man. That's what, that's what I did. I don't know if Zach did that, but I definitely did the whole basketball, baseball, football, a little soccer in there, too, if I could fit it in. Um, when did you start getting serious about basketball?
2: Uh, I think I was always, uh, pretty serious at nine. I won my first MVP award. I remember that. And, uh, at, uh, I was playing, you know, uh, local basketball and I was always pretty good. I practiced a lot. We had a court at home. So at eighth grade, I decided to give up the other sports and focus on basketball.
0: That's the answer I was looking for. I was wondering when that became your main main sport. Um, yeah. Did you uh, did you play a lot on the blacktop back in the day?
2: Yeah, we played at the park every day. I would go home, do my homework, and then dribble up to the park. Um, even in Gardena, at you know ten nine years old, we were at the park. Then uh, and when I moved to West Covina, we had a park, Warmarado, and then we had various parks where they were hooping. You know, growing up, so. It was an everyday thing for me or in my backyard with my guys, you know, playing one-on-ones or 21 or whatever. It was everyday for me.
0: Can you explain to listeners real quick, the younger, the younger listeners, how important the blacktop game is?
2: I think it's very important because it teaches you a lot of things about being a man and being a, a winner. First, you have to win to, get, to stay on the court. You have to be respected enough to be chosen on the team to be able to play. Um, The other thing is you have to do the little things to be able to win To maintain, uh, you know, your presence on the court You don't want to go up there and lose one game and be done There'd be so many people there you wouldn't be able to get back on So it made you play winning basketball Uh, It made you play basketball the right way It made you uh, earn respect It made you have to speak out to get a game Um, We talk about this a lot A lot of these things are lost these days, you know because, uh you know, these kids get two or three games a day regardless, and we had to win and stay on the court. So it was a different intensity. Then yeah. you're playing with grown men and, and things like that, so you really had to earn your keep. So it was a process that you had to go through to be able to play. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Builds and that man, mental toughness
2: for sure. From being able to play to being able to be one of the best players to being able to dominate, you know, that process, you know, dealing with men. It was a great process, and it was a process that helped me become who I became. And, um, you know, just playing with no structure. But, you know, when you're playing with those older guys, they know how to play. So you're moving, they're setting back pitch, you know. You know, everybody nowadays just stands around and let everybody go one-on-one and take turns, where at the park they were really playing real basketball with no structure. So that's how I really learned how to play basketball.
1: Yeah, and I love playing with the older guys, too. They're the ones that are always calling out screens and actually talking on defense. I mean, that is how you learn the game, like you said. But what I want to know is who are some of your idols growing up? Like, who did you look at and say, I want to play like that guy, especially being like a taller point guard? Like, who, who, is, who is that guy that you said, I want to play like him?
2: It was obviously magic um, growing up in L.A. You know, it was a ritual to watch. Well, let me not say ritual, but it was a activity that we did as a family where we're watching every Laker game home in a way. You know, I studied all the Lakers, Byron Scott's jumper, Magic's uh, pizzazz and point guard skills and ball handling. James Worthy was on those teams, Kareem. So they were all cool, you know, Michael Cooper. You know, they all had their different roles and different things I took. But uh, as I got older, my travel team was the same team as Jason Kidd. So he had a big influence on me as a youngster, you know, he was older and uh, we were on eighth grade team and they were on the top high school team. So it was a big show when they played and, you know, I wanted to be like that. I wanted to play at the top level and I learned a lot from them. Then as I got older, I started studying in college, Michael Jordan and his footwork and Penny Hardaway. I studied everyone. I had like a, two or three hour highlight takes to music, which is the best plays in the NBA in college on VHS. So I studied, 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 studied everything from the minutest details to take a lot from
1: everybody. Yeah. I feel like film is such an important way to learn basketball. I coach basketball. I feel like film is so important for these young kids to watch, whether it's actually watching players or watching yourself. I feel like you learn so much from it, but, Every guest from the L.A. area, you know, Keith Claw, Shea Cotton, Ricky Price, everybody that we've had on, they all said how competitive basketball was at the high school level in L.A. So what was the high school experience like for you? Like, who are some of the guys that you went up against?
2: Oh, well, it's cool that you have them on the show. I got to look at their interviews because that was my generation. Uh, you know, when I went to – when I got to eighth grade, I was about 6'2", and I was just playing locally. And my brother had a job in the summer. He went to UCSB and got a job with the Edison Company, the electric company, and he worked with uh, Mr. Bob Murray, who was Tracy and Cameron Murray's dad. So they told my brother about a tryout they were having for the ARC program, and I went out there, and then the rest was history. So as soon as I got on that team, our um, rival, Slam and Jam, had Ricky Price, so they we were both two big guards, and they were comparing us and stuff, and it was a lot of people watching and talking and whatnot. So he, Toby Bailey, Cameron Murray, um, that's offhand, um, J.R. Henderson. Those are my, um, my rivals, you know, to be the best player in the state to make the McDonald's game. I know we were all competing for that, even though we were friends. We played on the same team. But it got so competitive, we didn't even really speak to each other like that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Miles Simon, he was in there. Um, Doug Godley was in that class. Tony Gonzalez. So, uh, you know, Tank Davis. It was competitive. Everybody wanted to be the best. And I tell my sons that now I got two high-level sons that are players. Yeah. i got a seven foot sophomore uh jazz garden he's a junior now and then i got a, a six two point guard john gardner who's a freshman they play together they're the gardner brothers and um i dedicated my life after my career to making sure my boys had a better opportunity than i did but uh back to your question we were so competitive and i tell my sons that, that that's what drove us to be the best who Like, I didn't believe anybody was better than me, and I wanted to prove it. That's what drives you to be your best, and something inside you that wants to prove that you're the best. So, you know, Miles was at Arizona. Toby went to UCLA. I ended up going to Cal. JR went to UCLA. Ricky went to Duke. Tremaine Folks was in there, too. He was my teammate at Cal. And, uh, you know, we didn't even speak to them dudes before the game yeah (laughs) but you know they were my childhood (laughs) friends but i didn't get cool with them dudes until now (laughs) that's that's just how
1: competitive we all were right right you know what i mean and that's what we hear i mean that's what we hear and i mean the au scene was such a big deal and you played even outside of california from like felipe lopez gerard ward rico harris i mean so many names but i mean with like with no social media, did you know about these guys going into the games or these tournaments, or did you just have oh, yeah. kind of like those oh shit moments in the middle of the game where that's when you found out who they were?
2: <laughs> no, nah, we all knew about each other because they had that Slam and Jam Mag, no, that uh, Street and Smith magazine. Oh, yeah. So I went to 7-Eleven as a freshman, and my name wasn't listed as one of the top freshmen. So I felt disrespected, and that lit a fire under me. I really went to work. And, you know, what happened by the end of my career high school, I got to the top. But you read about all those other guys in that magazine. And then you had those camps, ABCD camp and, you know, Nike camp or whatever. I went to the ABCD. So Felipe was there with Sonny Vaccaro. So, you know, we became friends and we're still friends to this day. But, yeah, you realize, you know, it's not just really locally. That's all it is. It's national. And when you go to those camps, you see where you stand. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: We always hear about that. We always hear about like I forget who we had on, but somebody was telling us how basically the starting five in 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 the game, eight of the ten guys on the, the two starting fives played in the NBA, and that's just yeah, I would have been in mine. <laughs> when you think about it, really, like because because yeah. you're cause you're playing against these guys, eight out of ten go to the NBA. You're probably realizing, like, that's where I'm going. You know what I mean? That's I expected where. Expected
2: to be in the NBA. I knew I had, uh, I knew I had the talent. I knew I had the physical, and uh, that probably was a problem. I got maybe uh, too preoccupied, too caught up in other things rather than just staying focused, keeping my head down. But those are all lessons that I learned, and I give them to my sons so they could be better.
0: Which is but, which yeah. is great. Passing it on. I mean, knowing what you could have done better to let them know, hey, do this. You know what I mean. This is what's going to take you there. I wanted to, before we jump into that, I wanted to talk to you about um, the recruiting process. T- mm-hmm. Talk to our younger listeners about how exciting the recruiting process was. How many leads were coming in? You chose Cal. Was there a close number two? Talk us through it.
2: Well, I was always a UCLA fan. I think they started giving me tickets in eighth grade. I got my first letter from Arizona State in eighth grade. I, You know, we went to the national tournament and we lost in the championship. We should have won. But, uh, you know, by the end of my ninth grade year, I averaged 18 points as a freshman against, uh, you know, modern days and Santa Margarita's top schools in that league that we were in at Bishop Amat. So, um, Syracuse, I remember, uh, Arizona State, Arizona. Um, That were the early ones, UCLA. But by, you know, the junior year after you go to ABCD camp and you do well, they had a top 40 thing uh, my junior year at the Nike facility in Oregon where the top 40 players went and I did well. That's when I became the number one uh, point guard in the country. And, you know, the letters, you know, were flowing and it was from everywhere. It was from be. everywhere. I didn't have a final list, a final 10 or anything like that. You just had five visits and you just took, you know, I took those five visits. I, I went to Arizona, Arizona State, Arkansas, Minnesota, and uh, I think it was Syracuse. And I went to Cal unofficially, and I had been around UCLA. I should have taken a visit because you know it's different than just going to a basketball game. But um, right, I went to Cal and UCLA unofficially.
0: So you you pretty much you pretty much x off the list Minnesota and Syracuse because of the Southern Cal weather, right? <laughs> that's not there. No,
2: I was willing to go anywhere for basketball, man. But um, I like playing in the Pac-10. You know, that's the West Coast League. Yeah. Um, I, I saw what Jason Kidd had done the year before I got there and, you know, it worked fine for him. So he was leaving. I felt like I could go in there and um, I felt like I could be more of a productive, highly productive player right away. But it probably was the wrong decision because, I mean, it would have worked out if I didn't get sick. But UCLA ended up winning that, U- that national championship and I would have been a, a big part of that, too. They were waiting for me after I made my decision in April. Uh, I had a press conference, and UCLA came, and I chose Cal.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. And the
2: coach that came was the assistant, Romar. And uh, I'm drawing a blank on the other coach. But uh, Romar ended up being my coach at Pepperdine, and now he's recruiting my son. So,
0: <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Small world, right? You know, yeah. I got to ask you, speaking of small world, you and uh, Tony Gonzalez were teammates. I'm a huge football fan. Um, you guys both came in as freshmen, from what I remember. What kind of player was he? And was he, how good do you think he really was? I know football is obviously, you know, he's basically a Hall of Famer. Where did you see the it factor in basketball, even though it wasn't his main sport?
2: Tony is one of my good friends, man. He was my roommate my sophomore year at Cal. And uh, we became friends in high school. We played against each other, and we went to the ABCD camp together. He was a reason why I chose Cal because I knew he was a good player. Tremaine Folks, who was in that class, me, Tremaine, Tony, and we had another kid, Jeff Dayton, who was my roommate my freshman year, who was a shooter. So I said, hey, we could." I know I could win with those guys. I knew how talented Tremaine and Tony were. But Tony was a real good basketball player. He had a nice touch obviously he had the physical body and the physical strength and athleticism, to guard, different positions, um, good hands, great hands, could catch the ball and finish, um, you know, fundamentally sound. He really loved basketball. We, that's what we did a lot together. Go hoop. You know what I mean? He loved the hoop. He did that even as in his early years in the NFL, he, well probably all through his career played basketball as conditioning, um, work, but, um, He just was uh, smaller for his position. You know, he was 6'5", and his four position is usually 6'8", 6'9", but it was perfect for football, 6'4", 6'5", 250. 250,
0: 260, perfect tight end size, man.
2: He he didn't have a – he was muscular, but he wasn't heavy muscle. He was a heavy bone structure. So he got a lot of his weight through his bones, so he was strong. And he was big, but he was still thin and agile. You know what I mean? He was a special guy. He he was blessed with his physical attributes. And uh, he was smart enough to know where his money was. And he made the decision to do what he needed to do, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's obvious too because his his he's he'll go down as one of the top 5 tight ends of all time, hands down. But did he ever, you know, you say you're good buddies with him? Did he ever did he ever say to you that he he wanted he had maybe had the itch to try to play in the NBA? Cuz I, I know there's rumblings towards like the middle of his career about um him playing in the NBA and I don't know how truthful that is or not, but did did he ever confide in you that he he, he wanted to try the NBA before his career was over?
2: I think he took a shot at it in his third or fourth year. He went to Miami and played Summer League with Miami. Yeah. I don't know how, I don't know how real he was about doing both, but he took it that far. So he was interested in it. I know he loves basketball, so he would have loved to do it probably. Yeah. It would have been hard on his body to do two professional seasons, but, you know, he probably would have been willing to try that.
1: Yeah, I mean, some people are crazy enough to do that. They, some people just love the sport so much they'll do that. You see some of the baseball, football guys do that. But uh, your second year, you had a lot of talent with like Abdul Rahim, Ed Gray, Tremaine Falks, uh, Sean Marks, Michael Stewart, Yogi. So, I mean, what was an everyday practice like that second year? I mean, those must have got pretty intense. I mean, what can you tell our listeners about an everyday practice with that kind of talent?
2: Uh, Coach Bozeman had recruited Prentice Magruder, who was a J.C. point guard. And uh, I was – I had gotten focused my sophomore year and uh, tried to be more disciplined. But uh, when Sharif got there, you know, it took our level of talent up. Tremaine was um, suspended doing some NCAA stuff, so he couldn't practice. But he would – you know, he was blossoming into a specimen. We had Randy Duck. We had – it was just – it was high-level basketball, high-level competitiveness every every day, even pickup ball. You know what I mean? And we had a loaded team. We were number eight preseason in in the country. But uh, my first game, I had 25 points and eight assists on eight eight for eight shots. (laughs) But during that physical that season, I got diagnosed with a kidney disease. So the doctor said, you know, from that point, I was going to have to have a transplant. My NBA career was done at that point. But, uh, you know, we still tried to play. They had me on medication that made me gain weight. And, then, you know, it was just a year of, um, of real turmoil for me because I was going through the health thing, uh, not really knowing what was going on in my life. The team, you know, I was a part of the team that helped the team function as a uh, creator. So I was in and out with medical stuff. But Prentice did a good job of stepping up. But um, I don't know if everything would have worked out and um, – Tremaine would have been healthy from the beginning of the season. We just would have had more focus. You know, we could have been in the Final Four or something like that. We were, we were really that talented, but we just had so much different things going on with our lives. Everybody, yeah. I mean, mainly me, but uh, you know that that's the perspective I have of that year.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, most I think most fans forget just that. You know, young athletes actually do go through a lot of life struggles along the way in their journey. And uh, I mean, that's every athlete. But when you're diagnosed, what was kind of an everyday process like for you? I mean, that must have been a lot to deal with, plus trying to play basketball. And did that have any factor, in maybe transferring to Pepperdine or, or <laughs> why Pepperdine? Everything.
2: I was going through a transformation in my life. I was a um, I was a non believer and thought it was me. I thought it was me who was the star. I thought I was better than other people. So. And my perspective, God um, transformed me during this process and and with my affliction. I have a tattoo that says, uh, before I was afflicted, I didn't believe. But because I was afflicted, I'm thankful for it. So that kidney affliction was really the start of my metamorphosis into the person that I am today. So, you know, Bozeman, the Colts didn't really know. I didn't even know what kidneys were. I mean, we just high-level players. Everybody's telling me I was planning to leave for the NBA after that year. And, um, you know, we had just going through that process. We had gotten too far gone in terms of what was going on off the court and the money and all that stuff, the fame, you know what I mean? So when I got sick, I had to go through a, a transformation, a spiritual transformation. So uh, things went bad with Coach Bozeman and my minutes. I shouldn't even been playing. I should have redshirted. But I tried to play and I was on steroids and it went bad with the coach. So the relationship that we had established just went bad and um, my minutes were affected. I was missing games. It was just a a tough year. So uh, I left and went to Pepperdine, went back home, uh, took that year to get my body back right, got off the medication and then uh, played my last two years
1: at probably 40% kidney function. Wow. I mean, at 40%, you still played very well. I mean, from what I remember, I remember watching a few of those games. Um, But after that season, um, after your senior season, what was the draft process like for you? Because I know that earlier you said that you kind of knew that the NBA probably wasn't a reality. But, I mean, did you still go through the process and did you have a lot of workouts? Did you expect to be drafted? Well, I had a
2: dream to be drafted (laughs) because you got to understand at that time when I'm at 40 percent function, I don't have I have less power. I might have more aches and pains in my body, but I still um, I'm able to play and I'm still I still look normal. So I had that year. Nobody really knew I had a kidney disease. It didn't get out at Cal like that. Um, the NBA people didn't know. They still came and scouted me. I still got invited to the Chicago pre-draft camp in the Phoenix, uh, the Desert Inn, uh, the Desert Classic for seniors. I had luncheons with about 10 teams, but I knew I couldn't pass the physical. So it was like, I'm just praying for a miracle. I actually yeah. did uh, use Kenny Thomas's urine at the physical to <laughs> oh, pass wow. the test. But then when they took my blood, they told me, oh, we need to do another test. This can't be right because they saw it was dysfunction. It was dramatic to them to see my blood test. So I had a choice to make. I could have tried to let somebody else put my jersey on and go give some good blood <laughs> and get drafted. But then what happens at training camp? Right. Yeah, It's going to come out sooner or later. So I said, hey, let me just take this L right now. People don't know why I didn't get drafted. They think I just did I wasn't good enough or whatever, but when you get invited to Chicago and you're a six, six point guard, I mean, dog, you're going to get picked. You know what I mean? Somebody would have picked me. I had Chicago and Indiana who really liked me and they liked me all the way after my transplant up to 27 years old, I had tryouts and stuff. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. But, uh, I went back and gave the blood myself and I didn't pass. They never crossed my name off the board. And, uh, I worked out for Sacramento, uh, I don't know if they knew or not. You know, I know my medical wasn't right, so um, I went to uh, I went to work out with them with Kiwan Garris and Ryan Robertson. They ended up choosing Ryan Robertson with that 40th pick or something in the second round, and I had done really well. But, you know, things weren't right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It wasn't right, and I knew, you know, I, I couldn't pass the physical, so... You're not gonna, you're not gonna be able to get millions of dollars if you're not healthy, right? So I, mean, I went overseas, and yeah. they didn't do physicals like that. They just looked at my body and thought I was the high caliber. You know, look like. <laughs> <laughs>
1: they say, didn't well, take
2: blood and stuff like that. So I went over there for ninety thousand my first year in Israel.
1: Yeah, and that's but, uh, what I wanted to ask because I, I thought a lot of those European teams or overseas teams did do physicals, but apparently they don't. But I mean, what was the, the overall
2: the, experience over there? Not the level that I was at. Like if you had a Euro League level, you know, I, I probably you know, they're not they're gonna do a blood test, but the level I was at was like a high major Israel yeah, first man. league, but they didn't do physical. So I was blessed. God was blessing me, but um People were calling me back home saying the Lakers want you to come to camp and all this stuff, different agents. And uh, I felt like I was an NBA player and I left Israel to go to the, to come back home. I also had some issues with my baby's mother and stuff like that being home and me not being home. I had a son in my senior year. So, you know, that brought me back. So I ended up playing in the CBA that year for like $600 a week it was great basketball talent there and great competition, but financially I lost probably $70,000. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So the next year, uh, I went to Germany. I had a big time offer in Euro league, but you know, with the kidney function and the the way my body I had a problem with one of my knees, I felt like I had, coming down the stairs that caused a problem where I had a pain in my knee and they did a physical just body work with a leg machine and they felt my uh, leg was weak so they didn't want to sign me but I ended up going to Germany and finishing that year and then when I came back I was like uh, I knew my kidneys were going down but I was trying to just I was just being oblivious to it you know it's like hard for a young guy to have that hanging over his head My mother told me to go get a blood test that day. I got the blood test. They put me on dialysis that same day. Wow. Wow. uh, Told me if I would have played that day, I could have died because my potassium in my blood was so high. Jeez. So that next year I got offered in Paris and I had no relationship to Paris at the time, but it was an offer for like 200 grand and I couldn't go. Because wow. I was fit, I had to have a transplant. My mother donated me a kidney within three months, and that year I worked my body back. And then that, that year I'm, I was out. I met my wife in church. She visited from France. She's from Paris, born and raised. And I was in church with my son, and she sat in the same row. Wow. And we've been married eighteen years. And after that, I got a job in France. Uh, injury replacement after the surgery had to start back at the bottom and uh, we got married uh, that next year my son jazz was born in France so we all have dual citizenship and uh, I played seven or eight years in France I played in Australia Russia uh, Slovenia I played all over the world until I was 37 with that kidney my mother gave me
1: Wow that, that's amazing. I mean, especially working your way back into shape after the transplant. I mean, that's not easy to do. I, I can't think of another player that did that, like Sean Elliott well, and Lonzo Mourning come to mind.
2: Yeah, they both had the same disease I did, but the difference was they were already in the NBA when it happened, so they got to stay in the NBA. It happened to me when I was in college, so I never got to touch the NBA. But nobody really understands what I've been through in terms of my body and what I had to push through the hard it took to push my – body back and taking these steroids even after the transplant the anti-rejection medication and trying to run the sprints and your muscles have no power and fighting through all that to get back to the top you know by the end I got back up to the top you know by the time I was 30 but I had to go back to the bottom and I had an injury replacement job and uh, I got blessed because the guy didn't come back and You know, it was was a blessing, but it took a lot of heart. It took a lot of heart, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of commitment, a lot of pain. You know, sometimes overseas I could get sick, be in a hospital, throwing up all 24 hours, or I might not feel good, and I'll play through it to the point where I'm laid out in exhaustion. You know what I mean? I'm just that committed to the job and to playing. I love basketball, and I'm going to fight, you know. I could have died out there. That's how much I love it.
1: Yeah. I mean, what was your biggest adjustment playing overseas, especially after that transplant? I mean, would your adjustment, do you, would you say just be working yourself back in shape? Or how did your game change after that? Like, how did you have to change your game to still be effective?
2: I didn't have to change my game. I just had to get my conditioning. Some games I wouldn't have any power. I might just be weak that day and I got to fight through it. Some days I'll have the juice, you know what I mean? So trying to figure out how to manage my body that first year, I averaged like 17 points, three rebounds, three assists. And my agent had a problem getting me the job that I thought I should get. So uh, the next year, uh, I turned up my workload. I started feeling more of myself and I, I led the league in scoring. Wow. And I played the two more out in Europe because the point guards were more small. So I would start at the two, didn't go to the one, but My second year back, I was 24, and then um, from there on, I was was back to the high-level player that I was. But, you know, I still had days or practices where I didn't have any energy, you know what I mean? I got to fight through it, you know? Try to figure out how to make sure my body is maximized, you know?
1: Right. Yeah, and, you know, I have a question for you, and it's more of a fun question. Uh, This is probably one of my favorite questions to ask our guests who played overseas, but every guest that we have, has a crazy experience playing overseas, whether it's with the fans during the game or just living in a new country. So does any story come to mind that was just really wild? Like what's your craziest story that you have?
2: Hmm. I, uh, I had played or got a contract offer in Cyprus, but the team had decided that they couldn't afford everybody. So I never got to the fans spitting and all that stuff. They were, you know, smoking in there in Greece and stuff. Uh, I had an experience where one time I was coming home in France from practice and the lady kind of closed the door on me. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Just being, you just feel like, you know, it made me think, where is my home? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Where, what country is it where the majority of the people look like me? Cause you know, I was in, um, in Russia and Siberia and you know, they would see me and say Tupac and you know, they would look at me like they've never seen a black person before. Wow. So it was something for them to look at me. And, you know, we're eating in the mall and Tupac, Tupac. And, you know, they look at you like they've never seen you before. But, yeah, you know, that was experience. Minus 45. You had a driver out there. You know, you don't want to be outside longer than five minutes. But the basketball was great. I liked it out there. Um you know, 10, 24-hour bus rides, stuff like that in France. You know, you have to have the heart for it. It's a commitment, man. You have to really love basketball.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And, and like Zach said, we hear so many crazy stories of, you know, checks at borders with, you know, AK-47s and, you know, people oh, getting… Yeah, that's oh.
2: normal. So that didn't even enter my mind. Like, that was something to see. Right, you right, know, or like really, uh, the uh, Israeli really army and stuff, they walk around with AK 47 and his kids, you know, that have to do their two years in the army. But you might have a guy on your team who's a young guy, he goes to practice, and got to go to the army. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean, it's, it's just totally different lifestyles, but it's a worldly education that you can't pay for.
0: It's a great point. Uh, who was the one guy overseas, and this doesn't have to be a famous name. But who was the one guy overseas when you were playing that was the guy? Like the Michael Jordan of overseas when you were playing?
2: Theodore Papalukas was big and uh, he played in Russia and Greece, like a 6'4, 6'5 point guard. You know, you watch Euro League when you're, you know, in France or whatnot. Those games come on. Um, who was the top guy back then? It was so long ago. What comes to my mind is my guy, Meyer Chapman. He played for Po Ortez, which was the French um, Euroleague team. So every week their games come on the French channel, and I'm watching as I get out there. And I really liked his game, man. He was nice. And nice. I met him at a party and told him, man, you know, respect. You know, we're friends to this day. He was a real nice six, probably six, three, great defender, could shoot, had handle, had moves kept dunk on you. He did real well. He played with Iverson in Turkey. When Iverson did that stint in Turkey, okay. they were the backcourt mates. So he had a great career. He played a lot of Euro League. He was, you know, watching him play. I have respect for his game.
0: Nice yeah we're always curious about that question. i was especially for our, our our younger listeners you know to to understand that there's great ball overseas and it's it's you know there needs to be much more respect put on the game overseas and I think there is nowadays obviously with a lot of the nBA stars being from overseas but it's it's legit, especially when you you know the one thing i don't think a lot of the younger listeners realize is two Americans that's it right on those teams. So it's right. like you and one other guy, that's it. The rest is, you know, so it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a dog-eat-dog fight to get to stay on that team being one of the two Americans, correct?
2: You have a high level of pressure to perform. If you don't perform one or two games, they're probably looking into who's out there to replace you. So, you know, it's an it's a interesting dynamic because I've been called in to replace a guy, and then they try to put us in the same apartment until he leaves oh wow and it's usually you know black americans and you know you know we have teammates and brothers like that but we also have to be pit against each other a lot yeah i had a tryout in uh, cyprus for a week where me and this other guy i forgot his name but we were just going at it you know for this one job for one week you know what i mean you know just both fighting for this job and it wasn't good it wasn't even a high-paying job, but we both need to eat. <laughs> Your family's to feed, um, yeah. yeah. and uh, at the end, they didn't keep either one of us.
0: Man, that's got to wow. be that's got to be tough, man. It's like my one friend always says. He goes, "Oatmeal's better than no meal," right? Yeah, we <laughs> you know trying I
2: mean? to, uh, you know, we got to have a job to feed our family. So it's not, you know, it's not the life I want for my boys. I tell you that.
0: Yeah. For real? I want
2: them to have some leverage and be in a position to play in the states and get some real contracts and some real money and yeah. play in a, yeah. play basketball the way we grew up playing. It
0: makes is complete it different, sense.
2: It's different. Is this a different game? You know, some of our footwork is called travels out there. Um, you know, they have a different expectation. Different countries have different things they want from their American players. And they don't tell you that. You got to try to figure it out. France yeah. doesn't really want you to be uh, the superstar. They're more about team ball. Where America is about individualism. Um, you go to Venezuela, they want you to be the star. Put 30 points up a night. You know, it's just different Russia. You know, they want you to score high numbers. You know, it's, it's di- they want different things. And I can give them different things, but I just need to know what do you want from me? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, I could be the point guard who just passes you know I was in a, a workout in Orange County and the coach from Australia he was at the workout in that game I was just getting everybody off I didn't even take too many shots you know and he liked that playing good defense athletic big point guard just passing so he ended up signing me to that but once I got out there you know I wanted to show who I really was Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying I'm yeah. not the guy who just – I can – I wish I would have been more acceptable to doing that, but it wasn't in me to take the back road to the players who I didn't feel were better than me.
0: Right. Now, that, it made sense. I mean, a question I got for you is, especially with your kidney condition, and I do understand about that to a degree. I had a health scare last year. My kidneys were at 30% at one point, wow. and I don't it even know at- – yeah, yeah, they came back. I was in, I was in ICU on a ventilator, all sorts of crazy shit. But the thing that trips me out is that I was in no shape to play basketball. So I don't know how the hell you were playing at forty percent, man. That's just straight will right there. I mean, I I remember it was like I had to walk with a cane for a couple of weeks. Like I understand your your point of like having there's just days you didn't have energy, like, and it's hard yeah. to explain to the listener. But I understand see, completely when you're talking about it.
2: Yeah, see, my teammates didn't really understand what was going on with me, so. I look like a specimen, right? Right. I'm ripped. I got a six pack. I'm long. I'm thin. You know what I mean? But inside, I was at 40%. So at Pepperdine, we had to do a mile and 530 to be able to practice. Okay. And I know my coach knew my condition, but he didn't give me any special condition. But you know, it took everything in my heart to finish that thing. And, they, you know, they looking and laughing like, man, it took everything. But they don't know. And in reality, it took a lot of heart. In reality, I'm a warrior instead of somebody that look like I'm lazy or something.
0: Right, right. It's
2: crazy. See a body on the outside and say, man, this dude is a top level athlete. He must be bullshitting on this. My. But in reality, internally, I'm at 40%. And it took everything within me to finish that mile. And then the coach, you know, who's my guy, but he would take me out before the other guard because he knew that conditioning might have been an issue for me. But once the game started, I didn't need no – I got so so much uh, passion and will for the game. You know what I mean? I didn't need no help with the minutes. I needed help on the mile. (laughs)
0: <laughs> right, because you had the adrenaline in the game too. You I had
2: to, the will to show I'm the best dude on the court. You know yep. what I'm saying?
0: Absolutely. So, so, my question on that is: Was that the decision that made you make it you, you, to hang up the hang up the shoes? Basically, knowing like you know how much more can I compete at this level with this with this kidney transplant and the drugs you have to take and all the other stuff? Or was it just one of those things where you just knew it was time to hang it up and and maybe get into coaching
2: at the time i was 36 my money was going down and um uh, i had done some things in my life where god had to teach me lessons that you can't do <laughs> right i just you know it's always temptation out there and um i always had a dream to live a life before i was transformed you know what i'm saying and i'm giving you guys 100 of me right now before in high school i always had a dream of living the life the girls the parties and all that right But then when God transformed me now, that's not the life that I'm supposed to live. I'm supposed to sacrifice all that and be thankful for what God has given me with this new chance at at life and basketball, man. I could have been on, you know, dialysis 10 years. I was blessed. I was on three months. Yeah. He gave me a chance to play and get that career out. You know what I mean? Because if I do two years on dialysis, my career is over. Right. So yeah. I did three months, and then by the next season, I was back. You know what I mean? So he had blessed me with that second chance, and my job was to live right and live for him. But I still had that uh, that temptation to live that life, that fleshly life that I had desired before I was transformed. So I dabbled in it, and it cost me big time. <laughs> right. He took, me, he took me down to the bottom. You know what I mean? All the way to the bottom and let me know, yo, it's not a game I can't you can't play with it. you have to have a level of discipline. you should respect what i've what I've done for you and uh you know, I was back at the bottom again, waking my way back up,
0: yep, but that so, it, it's good to talk about that stuff too though because it it gives perspective on you know where you can be where you are gratitude, you know what I mean Gratitude's huge in my life and and knowing like you said. You could have been on dialysis for ten years. You were on dialysis for three months. You got yourself back to where you were. You got to play. You got to be successful again. You got to play at the level that you wanted to play at. And I mean, that's amazing stuff. I got
2: to get that out of my system, and it was a blessing. The NBA was always my dream, and I'm seeing guys that I was ranked ahead of or outplayed before. You know, everybody gets better. I felt like I got better, but I, the, you know, it was tough to live with that. You know, most people in my position were in the league. Or, you know, not if they're not a starter, they're at least a backup. You know what I mean? Right. And I was overseas playing at a level that, you know, it really probably did. It was a conflict. You got a high, high level basketball player, but humbly saying. And because of my body or my sickness, I'm not able to have that motor that I need to be able to be at the top level and run five miles a day at the League team or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I had to go where I was able to um uh, enjoy basketball and perform. But uh by the time I was 37, my kidney, I felt I wasn't I felt like I was retaining water. You know, I had a layer of fat over me or water in my body. It was achy. My money was going down, the coach was overworking us. And uh by the end of that season, you know, that whole season, I was complaining with my teammates, like, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know knew. what I'm saying? I'm, yeah. I'm like, I don't need to be out here doing this for this money. It's over. You know uh, what I mean? Like, yeah. he was overworking me. It wasn't like he was giving a bet, just letting me hoop. He had me doing the stairs and all this other sh- You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I was ready. It was out of my system. I was 37. My boys were getting older. It was time to be with my family. So I came back home.
0: Yeah, that it makes sense. I didn't
2: look at another job or ask about any. I didn't even think about it. It was over. Right. I was looking into the next phase. I started my own basketball um, program, started coaching, and started spending every day with my boys and my family, getting them to the level that I didn't reach.
0: Let's uh, let's talk about your boys for a second. How, uh, how excited are you at their progress and where they at?
2: I'm in process with him with 10 years in. So, you know, we got a good foot in the door. We're at a good level. Um, You know, he got 20 offers from colleges. He just got an offer from overtime elite for over half a million dollars to go pro. Nice. He had an offer from uh, Europe to go pro for 750 after his freshman year and then go to the draft. So he's already on another level than I was.
0: (laughs) You got to be so proud. That's so awesome.
2: Um, I'm thankful. You know what I mean? I'm proud, but I don't I don't relax. I'm like Kobe. Like, are we done? Is the job done? <laughs> I right. don't relax until it's done. You know what I mean? You know, I know it's not done until it's done. So we're trying to stay humble, keep working. I got my younger son is in high school. He's more like me, got the type of game like me, but he also has that same personality I had before my transformation.
0: That's you awesome. know he's
2: got a flavor he's got a swagger he got a lot of girls on him you know <laughs> you know he's you know he likes to be uh seen or whatnot but you know jazz my oldest son is like head down focused not trying to self-promote you know what I mean wise understands what's important what's not so it's all about trying to create the men you know the men so they can handle what they need to handle. The basketball skills have already been ingrained and the physical genetics are there. And we just got to keep working on that. But just, you know, stay humble and keep working. Right. Don't get caught up in any of this stuff.
0: Yep. Keep that balance for sure. Super important. Um, we're going to do a quick lightning round with you, if you don't mind. Zach's going to ask the questions. This is like a one or two would answer some questions. Zach's going to ask you. Zach, you ready to go?
1: I am, and uh, my first question to you is: Who is your toughest cover as a player? The one guy that you just couldn't figure out how to guard? That's tough. (laughs) Yeah, lightning round is not easy.
2: (laughs) Oh, you know what? It happened. It happened when I was younger, like in seventh grade. It was this tenth grader named uh, Tess Whitlock. And my dad and his coach got together. He would come out to our area and he would put on a 40 on us. And he was just on another level at that age. And he grew, he went to college and all that, but he was nice as hell back then. Um, Bruce Bowen gave me some problems defensively when oh, yeah. he played. We played one-on-one at Pepperdine and I understood his technique is just to take away the space. Oh, I'm man. trying to make a move to get some space and then have that space to break you down. He just keeps the space closed. Yeah. You understand? Oh, and yeah. uh, that was the first time I experienced that. And I was in college like 20, 21, and he was in the league. And he was tough to beat. You know what I mean? Tough to get a, get my stuff off on him. but
0: Yeah. As a, man,
2: as a man, not being arrogant, but I was always able to hold my own. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I it mean, wasn't against the the States, like, Damn, I can't do anything with these guys. And I played with the pros and stuff at UCLA and I fit right in. <laughs> Shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, one-on-one with the best defender of all time, arguably. I mean, not easy, but uh, is there a reason that you wore number 13? Was there any symbolic meaning to that?
2: Well, it was actually a
1: mistake because I was number 32 and my
2: son is number 32 and three plus two overseas was five. That was my number. And my little son wears five. My big son wears 32. My number is five. I got five kids. You know what I mean? So I, I switched up trying to do something different and be different for no reason. It's not your number that's going to make you stand out. It's your game. Yeah. But I was caught up in bullshit. So excuse my language. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> you're, you're fine. fine. Any,
1: anything goes on this podcast. Yeah,
0: you're fine.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was caught up in BS, man. So... uh I changed my number, and then uh, I think that's when my life changed. In fact, I believe it's a significance of numbers.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay. And I don't think 13 is a good number.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think it's unlucky, so I I get that. I didn't care
2: back then. (laughs) I didn't care. You know what I'm saying? It didn't matter what people said. I just had that type of confidence, but it's a spirituality, to numbers. Yeah. And uh, my, my life suffered with that 13 on me.
1: Right. Well, uh didn't mean to bring up bad memories on the number. Uh, no, nah, uh, it's
2: part of life, man. It makes you who you are. Yeah, yeah. I try to tell my son, you got to remember these bad memories to turn into the dog on the court. Yeah. You got to think about pain to be uh, at a, a, a healthy anger. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's how you play. And that's how I played as a pro. You know, it's it's not really a game of fun and game. It's a life and death game. Right? It's you or me, like you said about overseas. So somebody's going to win tonight. Somebody's going to lose. Somebody might not get paid. Somebody might get cut. And it's not going to be me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And speaking of over- overseas, my next lightning round question is, favorite country you lived in and why?
2: Uh... I would have to say France because it's second home. We got family out there. My mother in law, my brother in law, my sister in law, all the relationships I created out there. My wife is from there and I played the longest there. So my son just played for the French national team this summer.
1: Nice.
2: So it's like our second home.
1: Yeah. I thought I thought you might say France. I thought you might say that one. And then uh my final one to you is: What's your favorite basketball memory? If you had to pick just one, what's that one memory that always pops up in your mind?
2: That's oh, tough, man. I got like you know I played to 37 years old, so I got a lot of memories. <laughs> one of the one of the great memories is uh, winning the CIF championship in high school, uh, beating UCLA at Poly. My freshman year was a good memory. Um I remember the the WCC tournament my um uh, junior year when our team really came together fought to fought together when they really became my brothers when we fought to get a win when you finally feel that cohesiveness you know what I mean Yeah uh I remember you know putting on shows in Europe you know I got a lot of memories man got a lot of good memories I just wish I had them on film
0: yeah that's definitely uh <laughs> that's definitely a thing that's changed nowadays when everybody's got a phone they're always on film nowadays for sure the
2: transformation period from VHS, then it went dvd then it went to like you know i guess these key cards and stuff like that so I all i lost a lot on tape and dvd I was just in the, at the wrong time. You know, a lot of the TV wasn't even high depth during that time.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
2: You watch one of my college games, it's all blurry, you know, rainy. <laughs> yeah. You know, my boys just they were blessed to grow up at the right time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. NIL
2: for college players, he just got offered a half a million as a high school guy. Come on, man. This is insane.
0: <laughs> I couldn't even imagine that. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's insane. Hey, is there anything you want to add or promote before we let you go?
2: um just look out for my boys the gardner brothers jazz gardner seven foot junior uh i wouldn't even call him a forward he's an all-around player Jion gardner six foot one uh point guard we're at los altos high school and last summer we played for dream vision uh the adidas sponsor team we have our own uh gear gardner brothers hoodies agtg which is all glory to god and uh they have their own logo. Big is uh, Jazz's nickname and Pop is uh, Jion's nickname. They're filming a documentary or two on us over this process over the next couple of years. So just look out for the Gardner Brothers. Put it in YouTube, put it in um, Jazz Gardner and YouTube, Jion Gardner and YouTube or Instagram and um, follow the ride. man. it's going to be interesting.
0: That's awesome. Hey, I want to thank you so much for our conversation and definitely how gracious you are with your time. Um, Zach, is there anything you'd like to add?
1: Yeah, I just want to say thanks for your time. Uh, I just always loved watching you play back, uh, back when you were playing in college and just hearing your story is really inspiring. And I know that our listeners are really going to get a lot out of this. So we just really appreciate it. I have, I have a lot of respect for you after our conversation today. I really appreciate it.
2: I appreciate you guys having me, you know, my job now is to, um, Use my testimony to try to help others avoid the, the mistakes I made. You know, um, it's not about fame and money, man. It's about uh, helping other people. It's about being a good person. It's about working hard and being humble. And you know, you know, life will take you good places when you give. When you give, you receive. You know, and it's rules to life that kids got to understand. They're going about it the wrong way. You know, they're going about it chasing buckets. You think that everybody needs to score a lot of points. There's so many components to basketball that make it function. And colleges are are organizations that want to function. So they don't want everybody just trying to get buckets. So in reality, when you're trying to get buckets and solely buckets, you're setting yourself up for failure. Try to play the complete complete basketball game and see where that takes you. Be be a willing uh, passer. Be a willing giver, and then you'll receive it. It, it, The game of basketball is just like life. When you play it the right way, it just flows the right way. When you're forcing and trying to get yours, you know, it doesn't work the way you want it to when you got the wrong motives. You know what I'm saying? So you also got to look in yourself, and you got to have the heart to compete. You know what I mean? You got to be self-accountable for your action. I tell my boys the truth. When they didn't play well, when they lost a battle, when you need to get better and you got to be able to take that in and get better and, and say, yo, I got to get better. That's yeah. the key to getting better. If you are lying to yourself, you're never going to get better.
0: That's the truth right there.
2: Excuses for things that you need to get better at. Yeah. I went I went three for 10 for three, but I did make three. No, I didn't. That's not good enough.
0: Right. That's <laughs> I gotta
2: true. Be better than that. I got to work harder, but a lot of people can't be accountable to themselves
0: yeah that's true that's a really good point and and to be honest with you that's a great way to end this interview because I mean that's the truth right there absolutely so thanks for coming on our show we super appreciate it um, very much and uh, stay safe and have a great weekend
2: you too guys thanks for having me and uh, be blessed
0: absolutely you too take care
2: You. you. bye bye
0: another great interview you know one of the things that I like about our show is that We get a lot of people on the show that seem to get it. You know what I mean. Later on in their lives, they understand that it is about giving and helping and helping your fellow man, woman. You know, like really, really giving back. You know, it it really isn't about money and other stuff like that. It's about what can you do to be a better person? What can you do to influence somebody? What can you do for the younger generation? How can you help people? How can how can your your experiences, good and bad help somebody get on that better path you know what I mean
1: yeah absolutely I mean everything that he went through I had no idea um what he was going through during his college and professional career and it's just really incredible that he's able to push through and make a career out of that and like you said he's also blessed too through his transformation I mean also very blessed and to see what he's doing now just coaching you know the the kids and giving back to the game and He's just doing so much positivity in this world. And I just have a lot of respect for that. A lot of respect for him. He was a lot of fun today.
0: I have no idea how he ran a mile in 530 with 40% kidney function.
1: That's crazy. Dude. I'm
0: serious, man. Like I was on death store last year and I was a 30% dude. And it took me almost a month to be able to walk without a cane. Yeah. I don't, I have, I can't even comprehend i mean other than you know there's definitely will and obviously he was in much better shape than i was physically but that's just i don't know that's mind-blowing personally you know i mean it really is you know but speaking of mind-blowing thanks everybody for listening to our show we really appreciate it everything you do for us the shares the likes you know writing reviews we had a couple more reviews this week so we really appreciate those it makes us feel like we're doing a good job which is always good to feel and uh it makes us realize that there's a lot of people we don't know listening to our show, which is awesome. So we can't thank you guys enough for that. Zach, is there anything you want to add before we get out of here?
1: Just a big thanks to Jelani Gardner. Just, you know, I can see why our former guest speaks so highly of him. Uh, you know, not just as a player, but also a person. He was, he was a, he was a joy today. I really admired him a lot.
0: Completely agree with you, man. Um, like I always say, be good to each other. Be good to yourself. Stay safe out there. Thanks for listening. Peace.